Hey, it's Dr. G. And whether you've been a longtime listener or you're new to the podcast, welcome. Have you ever felt like you wanted to start over or reinvent your life? If so, I want to invite you to tell me all about it. I really need your advice. And to reward you for your time, I'm going to be choosing nine listeners to join me on a free one-on-one relaunch game plan call. This call is designed to help you get clear on your specific goals so you can relaunch your life. To join in and be eligible for the free call, go to discover.drgordon.me. That's discover.drgordon.me and answer all the questions. I look forward to reading your responses and talking to you soon. Thanks for your help and thanks for launching your life with me. Hello and welcome to the Launch Your Life podcast, the only mindset podcast that provides weekly actionable insights for lasting happiness and change for high achieving professionals who are ready to bounce back from burnout. I'm your host, Dr. G. Today, we're talking to Rini Cavallori. Rini is founder, CEO, and chief instigator of Aspire, a global customized training, leadership development, and cultural alignment company. A dynamo who colors outside the lines, Rini is a cutting edge leadership expert and international strategist who has worked with thousands of organizations and their greatest assets, their people, to improve the performance and quality of life. She's the author of six books with her latest, Head Trash, The Leading Killer of Human Potential, available now. Rini is member of the prestigious National Speakers Association and was named an Outstanding Woman in Business by Phoenix Business Journal. Her company, Aspire, has won 14 consecutive Stevie Awards as a most innovative company, and recently she was recognized for a Lifetime Achievement Award. During the podcast, we talk about the importance of examining our beliefs and especially the self-talk that she calls head trash. During this episode, you're going to get some practical tips for winning your mind in the moment, and when you, especially when you start to notice the negative thoughts. At the end of the episode, visit launchyourlifepodcast.com where you can find all the show notes plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. Every day at 8.30 a.m. Eastern, I post on LinkedIn. Follow me there. Just search for Dr. Michelle Gordon to get actionable life-launching tips. When you're ready to create change in your life, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email, drg at drgordon.me. That's drg at drgordon.me. I'm happy to talk to you to find out if you're a fit for one of our life-changing programs. Thanks for launching your life with me. Now let's get to Rini. So Renee, welcome to the podcast. I'm super happy to have you here. This is the first podcast that we're doing with our new name. So, and welcome everyone who's still here after our rebrand. So, um, Cavallari, right? That's right. Rini Cavallari. It's Rini. Oh, excuse me. And I called you Renee. I apologize. Oh, that's okay. You've been a mindset coach for a while. Is that right? Yes. Well, actually my firm, which is powered by Aspire, we have been working with organizations for actually this is my 27th year, which is nuts. And, um, and they are all over the globe. They're small, medium, large, and, and helping them just get better at what they do. That's the simple, we're a performance improvement company. That's why anyone cool. would hire us. And in doing that, um, we started to study, I became obsessed with how do you shift human behavior? Because it's really difficult to do. I mean, it's difficult for me to shift my own behavior, yet alone when you're in the business of leadership development and training and learning and, and, and strategy work, you've got to get people, basically all that means is change. Yeah. And so how do you get people to change? And so I have a, another firm called the RCI Institute, 
And we just started really modeling high performers, what high performing organizations look like. Of course, I love the book, Good to Great, but many of my, uh, of my clients could not, they didn't have the resources to execute at that level. And so we started studying what makes certain people perform. And really there are three elements. Um, it, it, the first is mindset. And we call this the competency model, Dr. Gordon, and it is mindset is always first, then skill set, and then process set. But Mm. what tends to happen in organizations is we get people and we just give them skills and give them processes, but we don't emotionally engage them and we don't help them with putting, getting their head in the game. As I've gotten older, I've realized that mindset truly is everything like like i can change the way i look at just about anything if uh, if i'm willing to uh, let go of of what my ego wants and that's that's the harder part and and i think that f- shifting your mindset really is a spiritual journey and and change management i mean you're talking about change on a macro level and i talk about change on a micro level i mean i was like how do we change ourselves and i spend mm-hmm. a lot of time you know, in my courses and my programs, just helping people see things from a different perspective so that they can actually create change in their lives. I even had one client say, you know, if I, I would have paid five times as much to see this much change in my life. And, and yeah, you know, and it's, it's really nice to, to be able to facilitate that for people and, and just help them take small steps. Right. When you got to, so you just wrote this book, right? You've got this new book out called Dump the Head Trash. Is that what it is? Well, Dump actually, head trash. Yes. it's Head Trash, The Leading Killer of Human Potential. Okay. And it, and it is my sixth book, Woo-hoo. which is nuts. Wow. <laughs> That's great. So you get pregnant with your book and then you've got to get it out and, and uh, it gets done and you put it out there. And, and so it's really interesting because I read through a summary of your book last night and there's a few questions I have, um, and, and I'd like to just go ahead and get started on those, if that's okay with you. Please. So the first thing I want to know from you is, how, what's your definition of head, head trash? So head trash are those little nasty voices that are in our brain that undermine us, that suck our energy. They might keep us up at night. They take something and we start to look at it as um, it's like overwhelming us. And so, um, and head trash really is a trigger of burnout. You know, mm-hmm. head trash is a trigger of a feeling of disconnect with ourselves or other people. And so one of the key findings that we explore in head trash, um, and you know, everyone says to me, why did you write a book on head trash? And I'm like, this, I am an expert on head trash. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, me too. I have more <laughs> than the average human. And but what we found is that you, human beings so you're a you're a a medical doctor so you you look at the the being from a physical perspective and we looked at it from a standpoint of there's this emotional brain we have and inside this emotional brain there are two sides the connected side which is where positivity and and our ability for clarity and our our sense of of confidence and um, our power is all on that connected side. And on the other side of the brain is this disconnected side. And that's where our fear lives, guilt, worry, all of those things that suck our energy. And that's where head trash lives. And so the goal of life is to spend as much time as possible on the connected side. And so we actually, in the book, 
have identified a variety of ways to help you literally have practice and build a muscle on how do I get to the connected side of my emotional brain. Yeah. So I think this is really great because, you know, one thing that we're never taught is there's, there's two things that we're not taught. We're not taught how to manage our emotions. That's just not, you know, it's, it's basically emotions are bad, you know, and, and hold into them or don't, don't feel them. Um, but then the other thing that, that, that we're not taught is how to be in a high vibration. I mean, you're talking about connected versus disconnected. And I think that that another way to say that is the high vibration versus the low vibration. And, and we know that fear and, and disconnected, you know, you're talking about connectedness, but it's like, it's like fear and criticism and those sorts of things. They tend to lower our vibration so that we have, you know, worse outcomes, right? The, one of the bigger drivers I think for a low vibration is how our thoughts are going and how do we, how do we, you know, keep our thoughts, especially like when we're looking at our circumstances and we see that our circumstances aren't where we want them to be. How do we keep our thoughts up in into this higher vibration? I mean, this is, you know, also can we could go into the woo if you wanted and talk about manifestation and <laughs> and that sort of thing, right? But why don't you give us a couple tricks to that you teach on on how to stay connected versus disconnected? So, uh, actually, I'm going to I'll give you t- two or three big approaches. So, One, actually, in the book, we did a survey of over a thousand people and we asked them, what is it that you do to put yourself in your power, in your strength? Um, Because at the time, people didn't understand when we were talking about connected side, but basically that's it. And the book, we ended up getting a a, a tremendous amount of feedback and we cut off, there were 29 ways that are listed. And some are as simple as music, like certain music lifts us. Um, I always say, how do you start your day is really, really critical. You know, I was, you know, the primary caregiver of my daughter. So, you know, I always made sure because she's 20 now. In the years where I was getting up and getting her lunch together and breakfast and getting her off to school and then going to my work and becoming a leader and a manager and a coach and doing all these things, I really had to look at how I started my day. And so giving myself enough time, I happen to meditate, um, which if I can do it, anyone can because I have attention deficit. I just, (laughs) they didn't have Redolin yet for me (laughs) Yeah. So it wasn't available. And my father told me that my energy was my gift. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's great, though. It's great but, that you had somebody in your life who was that encouraging to you. Oh, absolutely. Both. I was very blessed. Both parents are exactly that way. But the other thing is like, you know, I, I happen to like yoga. Um, but, you know, is it that, you know, some people like to run, uh, others like to work out. You know, mm-hmm. I don't particularly like to go to the gym. I'm more of a hiker and be outside. The only time I run is if someone is chasing me. I, I don't, <laughs> there's no running for me. Um, that's or funny. if I'm running late, that's it. That's it. But yeah. so there's 29 different ways that people identified. You know, one that was really cool was um, uh, gardening. Because think about it, it lowers your emotional stress. So the goal, Mm -hmm. how you get to that connected side is to lower your emotional stress so you can increase your productive action. That's the key. Because when we have productive action, all of a sudden things start feeling good. 
you know, when we get stuck in that disconnected side, when we're stuck in negativity or, or fear or things are holding us back, it's being stuck that really is the, the challenge. So these 29 ways were the beginning of, of how to do that. Another important component um, that we identified, and we use this with leaders all the time, and I know you, list, you, you speak to high achievers, and so um, they like specific tools, and I do too. So mm -hmm. in life, we kind of have these stuck questions that we ask ourselves that keep us in the disconnected side, like, why did this happen? Who, who, who's responsible here? You know, they, they just, they, they just really lodge us tight. And then we have, and we identified these, what we call shift questions and shift questions literally um, allow us to shift to the connected side. So if something has gone wrong, we're disappointed and we go into why did this happen? We get stuck in the problem. The problem lives on the disconnected side. The solution sure. lives on the connected side. So when we ask ourselves a question like, What's the first thing I can do to improve this situation? Or a question around, like, I love this one question, what matters most now? Oh, because it puts me present into what I need to do now. So if I get stuck in the middle of the night, I wake up and I'm thinking, you know, like, like you know, I get all my thoughts going. If there are thoughts that are productive, like they're helpful thoughts, I just write them down because I can let them go. But if they're kind of those stuck thoughts that aren't serving me, then I can ask these kinds of questions. Another great one is, you know, what's the what's one thing I can do to make this situation better? And I do that a lot, like when I'm dealing with people, especially in today's world where we have very dramatic different views going on, oh, and it gosh. really has created divisiveness. Yeah. And so instead of getting sucked into that, I can say, okay, well, how can I listen better for this to understand this perspective? What is this person really trying to tell me? You know, all of a sudden, then I'm not, why does this person think like that is a whole different response. And it keeps me stuck. Sure. I think one of the best questions I like to ask myself when things that I don't expect happen is what is the opportunity in this? That's and, right. and the other thing is, is when we start to ask ourselves questions, then what happens is our subconscious goes to work to try to answer that question. And it gives us a little bit more power in the moment. And, and especially when we're feeling stuck, right? I, I always tell my clients to find the next smallest thing to do that you, that's impossible to fail. Because when you do that, then you start to see some action out of inertia and when you have an action out of inertia, then you start to see success. And when you have success, then you can get motivated because motivation is really bullshit. It's just the only way we get motivated is from seeing like progress. Absolutely. We progress is the key and you're right. It's the small steps. You know, another trick that we identify with people that when we're working with them and they're, they're stuck. So they're afraid to try something new. Maybe they're, um, they have like, we deal with a lot of people now, like, I don't want my business to be remote. I don't like it that way. I, and really it comes down to, you know, issues of trust or issues of, you know, well, do I really have control? Well, did you really have control? But the bigger thing is how can you live in gratitude? And it is, I know it sounds woo woo and fluffy for some people, but, um, you know, I'm a working class kid from Philly. 
there ain't much woo-woo in me. It, the fact is when we move from gratitude, so um, actually I, I also just came out with a book, it, it's called The Joy Journal, and it asks these questions. And one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves every single day is what am I grateful for right yeah. now? Yeah. And it puts us over there in that connected side. So what you're saying about taking action, when we decrease the emotional stress, gratitude's a decreaser, you move into productive action. When you move into productive action, now all of a sudden you get that progress. Progress gives us forward momentum and away we go. Well, also because gratitude is the precursor to joy and it's really yeah. hard to, to you, it's, it, you can't like be joyful and be ungrateful at the same time. And so when, when I am working with people who are complaining that, you know, life feels really heavy, I'm like, start finding gratitude. Be great. And yeah. they're like, I have no, I have no wins. I'm like, really? Did you get up this morning? Yeah. You know, I mean, so, so we have to, I think we really have to be willing to kind of open up our thinking and get out of that box that can keep us stuck. And, and sometimes I, I really do think that we stay stuck because it's comfortable. And, and anytime, anytime we, we really are growing, it's uncomfortable. It's just, it's yes. just uncomfortable. And we have to get used to that discomfort. So, yes, I, you know, one of the biggest ahas for me, and it was years and years and years ago, was when I came to realize that I feel the way I think. And I always say F comes before T. I, love I that. feel the way I think. So I'm trying to change a feeling about something. Well, you can't change the feeling. You have to change your thought. And that's where those questions come in. You know, other things, it's like who you hang with is who you become. So if you're in, if you're stuck and you're hanging out with people who are stuck and who are in the grind of that conversation of, you know, nothing's going right or I can't stand this and I don't like that. Uh, when we get when we get there, we have to look at our environment and what are those things. And the last thing I really go to is what are the habits that are serving me and what are the habits that are not serving me? And we saw a lot of that with COVID when we mm. were all stuck at home that we got some habits, like a lot of Pelotons were sold. Um, so, you know, some exercise was happening in the household. But there were also, you know, habits of never having your own moment, your own space, your, you know, constantly being on whether you were working all the time. You know, it's kind of bizarre that people were working remote and burning out. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting because we don't think like that. Normally, if we think you're traveling too much, you're at the office too much, et cetera. Well, what was happening is we were working all the time and we weren't having connection. And so we started to disconnect and then burnout start. We get exhausted and we have no one to connect with to help us stop that because burnout lives in that disconnected side. So we don't have clarity and mm -hmm. nothing messes up more than clarity because clarity gives us control. And we all yeah. have control. And, and, <laughs> but you know, it isn't just that though, because the, one of the things I think that really can happen for us is that is that when we're feeling disconnected or stuck or whatever, we don't take any action. We don't do anything to get ourselves out of it. We we just kind of get stuck in the ruminating thoughts. 
And uh, I just read this book called Peak Mind. And, and she, I don't know if you've read that book, but this, um, no, it's, it's a really great book and it's all about, it's all about, um, mindfulness and, and research around mindfulness and how mindfulness is so important. And she gives a bunch of examples and, um, and, and she talks about how we can get stuck in these ruts of rumination. And that's the same thing that you're talking about is like the disconnected side. And, and a lot of that comes down to like trying to understand a why. Right. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? And and that's why we have to ask a better question, like you were saying before, instead of instead of asking why, saying, well, you know, it happened. There's you know, circumstances are neutral and, and we almost never it's like it's like nobody teaches this. Right. Things happen and they're, they don't happen because, you know, to 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 sabotage you or or whatever. They just things just happen. Right. And and we get to decide how we choose to react to circumstances. And when we Absolutely. do that, yeah. And when we do that, then, then we can, we can make, we can make it, you know, it can be great. It can be not so great, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter because good thing, bad thing, who knows. Right. And so we have a lot more control over how we are feeling because feeling is a choice. And I think that, you know, you think back, back to like when we were kids and you know, I, I had some, some therapy when I was in, like a teenager and they kept talking about feelings. And so I took this identity, like, like feelings are your identity. That's, that's who you are. And I realized that that was not true because feelings are just, they just come and go. They're not right. they're just like the mind. And one th the other thing I was going to say before was that we talk about the mind. You talked about, you know, um, asking better questions and, and meditating and things like that. And not only are we not taught about feelings, but we're not taught that we can train our minds like a muscle. You know, we're taught in school to be a factory worker. We're not taught to have a, have independent thought or, you know, train our minds, at least in, in America. Um, I think that there are other cultures that do train the mind. Um, one that comes to mind for me, I went, I went to Myanmar in 2017 and it was the happiest, happiest group of people I've ever seen under, you know, oppression. So, with that being said, you talk about um, three steps to take back control during a busy workday and silence your head trash. What, what are those three steps? So when we, we know we're in head trash because those negative thoughts come in. And so the most important, the first step is we must own them. The first step is own it. So I'm annoyed with my boss. I'm, you know, I'm disappointed that I didn't get this deal. I'm angry that my team, you know, dropped the ball, whatever those things are. First, you have to really say uh, literally to yourself, okay, I get it. I, you know, I'm ticked off. And so now what do I want to do? And step two is to shift it. And that's those shift questions. And so, um, and actually on, I have um, the website dumpheadtrash.com. If you mm -hmm. go to resources, there's a whole bunch of free resources. And one of the resources is a series of shift questions. They're also in the book as well, but you can go there and you, there's no pain or anything like that. There's no shenanigans. It's just there to help people because you know, people have to shift because when we shift, now we get to the connected side and that's how we can dump the head trash because when we're in the connected side, now, if you and I are in disagreement, we can get to resolution. One person must be in the connected side. So think of it, you know, um, like, so I'm married. And if Armand and I are in an argument over something and we're both 
going back and forth and back and forth, we get nothing accomplished. But if one of us can get to the connected side, so I'm like, okay, so what is he really trying to say right now? Instead of saying, why is he being such a knucklehead? <laughs> yeah. So, but what is he really trying to tell me? Or why is he, why is he really mad about this? What's so important here for me to understand? That when I go there, then I can get to solution because there are no solutions on the disconnected side of your emotional brain. There is action on the disconnected side, but it's usually followed by, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, you know, you yeah. go and you, you do something that you're not proud of, or you do something that was completely unproductive, but you were in that, as you, that, that side of ego. See, mm -hmm. ego lives on that disconnected side. We all have ego. And when it's leading us, we usually, actually, I've never known myself to be my best self when ego is leading me, period. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's an interesting thing that you learn humility because you have ego. And the minute you get humility, you start to understand that, uh, you know what? A confident person looks a lot better than an egotistical one. So when we understand how to shift, and sometimes it is the environment where we have to walk away and it's just a walk around the block. So when we understand the tools of shifting, but the questions are critical, then we can dump. If we do not shift, we can't dump or manage our head trash. So it's very mm -hmm. simple. Own it, shift it, dump it. Love it. Love it. And dump it means now I'm taking productive action towards what outcome I actually want. Yeah. And, and production, productive action is what's going to solve it every single time. Anyway, you right. know, if you don't take productive action towards, you know, towards anything, you're just going to stay stuck no matter what. That's just how it is. And as you said, you know, productive action leads you to progress and that yeah. turns on your motivational switch. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. Progress, progress causes, causes motivation without question. Um, you talk about in the book about, um, about a panic attack and you had, you know, what you call little people in your head that knew which budget okay. buttons to push. So what, yes. what led you to that belief? Well, um, you know, I think one of the most important things we have to understand is that our life is a capture of experiences and those experiences create imprints and we all get this intellectually and those imprints live in our emotional brain. And there are positive sides to those imprints and negative sides to those imprints. Sure. And that's just a, a fact of the matter. And I, you know, I, I can think back, you know, to, um, for myself, I remember I was meeting, um, with some people and this is actually isn't even in the book. I, and I was very young. I was like 28 and I'm sitting at the grown-ups table. I was not qualified to be at the grown-ups table. I had mentors that believed in me and I was learning, but I was in a situation and someone who was older than I was, and actually he was also a male and it felt he was very much, you know, I was the token woman for most of my corporate career before I started Aspire 27 years ago, I, I climbed the corporate ladder. And, mm. and in this moment, this um, gentleman, you know, kind of put me quote unquote in my place. And I remember it, in that moment, like feeling like, oh my God, you know, am I wrong? This is embarrassing. You know, everyone's going to find out I don't know what I'm doing, which I still think today. So it doesn't really matter if I was, you know, 28, nine years old or eight years old at the time. But 
the what happened for me in that moment was that I realized that I could become part of this conversation or I could shrink. And fortunately, I felt like I didn't have much to lose because I, I like I just was too ignorant to know any better. And so I allowed the person to do what they did. And then, you know, and then I remember thinking to myself, what will I do next? Hmm. And then I thought, OK, well, how, what's something I can do that doesn't make this person wrong? And I really have tried throughout my life to when I am feeling wounded or thrown back on my heels or, you know, embarrassed um, to go to, okay, so how can I not make this person wrong and still make my point? And, and, so, and that actually is another approach to shifting so that I acknowledge this person. And I was like, you know, well, I clearly, you know, understand that you don't agree with my perspective here. And what I'd like to, what I'd like to share is blah, 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 blah. And I went back to it. And I think a lot of times, at least for me as a woman, I freak, sometimes I get in a space where I am put in my place, or I used to be, now I'm so old, nobody even bothers with me, but where I was put in my place, and I had to learn these skills to get myself over to that um, connect, so connected I, I side. Think, I think it's important to talk a little bit about putting it, putting a woman in her place, um, because, you know, that is that is so okay in the corporate world. It is so okay in the general world. And it, we, and this, this just, it drives me crazy because we live in this patriarchy. Women are less than just in, as society. And it's not our fault. Um, but you know, there's going to be criticism and that's fine. But I think that that criticism with a misogynistic undertone or even overtone is not okay. And I think we're getting better, but it hasn't stopped. I mean, we still get cat calls. We still, you know, so we have to, we have to be really cognizant. I mean, I think that if I got put in my place and, and it happened all the time, actually, I mean, I'm a surgeon. And so, right. you know, I'm, I'm yeah. a woman in a man's world. And, um, I, I told this story actually recently on LinkedIn, but I almost got fired from my residency because my program director didn't like me. He, he blamed me for bringing in the union where I just happened to, you know, be a union rep. I wasn't afraid of anything. So I was like, I'll be a union rep. I don't care. And he tried to keep me from, uh, taking my boards. And what happened was his secretary, I watched it. His secretary took my board application to his desk. He signed the board application and then he accused me of falsifying his signature because he didn't remember signing because he, he had threatened that he would never sign it so I could take my mm. boards. And, and so I guess the, the, the point I'm trying to make is that we have to be really careful about, you know, the way we speak and, you know, getting put in our place is it's just not acceptable. That's, that's all. No. You know. Well, what happens is, so, and this is another thing we I explore in the book, which is that we inadvertently as leaders, as human beings throw uh, as parents, we, we don't necessarily do it on purpose. So it might not be our intention to throw someone into the disconnected side of their emotional brain. Some people might do it with intention, but let's just say it's not with it. Well, we are as human beings responsible for our impact. And sure. so when there have been times where I wasn't my best self as a parent, you know, I was, you know, I had lots of reasons why I wasn't my best self on that in that day in particular, but none of them matter. What matters is how I made my daughter feel 
And then what I did to get to the connected side of my brain so I could either stop myself in that moment or clean it up. Yeah. So that, you know, I could say, you know, I'm sorry that I, blah, 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 you know, I lost it. I'm sorry that whatever it was, Lord knows the list is nice and long. <laughs> so um, I don't even want to think about that. But <laughs> my point yeah. is that we are human beings. And, and when we, when I actually do leadership work with um, our clients, one of the things that we looked at, we were working on a project because uh, we help bring brands to life. And we worked on a be Best Western International, a huge company, over 4,000 units, many years ago. And, and when we were hired, they were number 11 of 13 in J.D. Power. Hard for a strategic growth to occur. Mm, and yeah. so David Kong, who just left, an amazing CEO, he had the foresight to say, we have to change this, this service culture that we have. And he knew it was about leaders and we had studied leaders. And there were six components to leadership that we identified were intentional in our approach. And what ended up happening was these are six skills that are, you can do, and it's about self-leadership. It's because when we're leading, leadership is a behavior. It's not a position. So the one of those, well, the first is connection. So the ability to connect with people and create trust. The second is clean communication, not just clear, but the ability to have communication where someone can hear you and you can have dialogue. The mm -hmm. third is compassion. And I think this is where we, we've lost so much of that right now. Like compassion is something that's truly in our connected side of our emotional brain, because I'm not in judgment of you when I'm in compassion for you. And so as we looked at these six pillars of intentional leadership, um, uh, it, it really allowed us to help them shift how they were leading so they could get to where they needed to go. But they were just the skills that allowed them to lead from the connected side of their emotional brain. So I we really that. have to look at how we, um, and the other, the other three pillars, because your listeners are probably like, okay, I got number three, and then she stopped. Number four is standing for a higher purpose. Number five is participation, which is the ability to engage people into your mission and to make people feel of high value. I participate when I feel valued. Um, and then last but not least is creating environments of 100% responsibility. Responsibility then allows us to create accountability. We can't yeah. have accountability if we're not responsible. These two things are not mutually exclusive. And so when we teach leaders these skills, which are duplicatable, like you can learn them, now all of a sudden we can create a self-leadership that is really healthy and powerful at all levels of an organization. And that just turns me on. I love that. And, but you know, the thing is, is that you talk about accountability and responsibility, right? And one of the big things for me was, gosh, I would say when I first, when I hired probably my first coach, I, I you know, you know who Jack Canfield is, right? Sure. Yeah. So he has a coaching program that I, that I actually, I used I used them as a 20 week coaching program in, I think, I want to say it was 2009, 2010, something like that. And, um, and it, I, 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 I was like, you, you know, the, the biggest, the biggest thing that Canfield talks about is you are a hundred percent responsible for all your own outcomes. And I was like, well, how can that be? I mean, I was a victim and things happened and blah, blah, blah. 
and so through the years, I've started to understand that, you know, it doesn't matter like what happens to me. What matters is how I respond. And that, that gives me so much freedom because right. when, you know, when I say that, you know, yeah, the things happen, I don't have to be a, vi I mean, things, bad things happen, bad things happen every day and I'm not poo-pooing it. I've had my own share of horrible things happen, uh, in my life, but the, the, the thing that, that has really struck with me is my own personal responsibility for how I choose to view it, how I choose to respond. And those, those responses are what's going to produce my outcome. And so, uh, for example, you know, my son had cancer when he was a baby mm -hmm. and it was horrible and it was awful. And he's not the same kid. He had to have, you know, it was a brain kind of problem and, and so ah. the, the, the brain he was born with is not the brain he has. And he was, you know, probably a genius. And, you know, now he's got some cognitive problems. And, and uh, I mean, I can't, there's nothing I can do to change that. It happened. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my, my feeling is that I have to just be responsible for, you know, how I respond to that. Do I want to be afraid all the time that he's going to die? Or do I want to try and give him the best life that I possibly can? Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was a baby. That was a long time ago. He's 28 years old now. And, you know, he's living a meaningful life. He votes, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome. And he, he had a job up until I had to bring him home for the pandemic. But, but the, the point mm -hmm. I'm trying to make is that we have the choice we have in any situation is how, how we're going to respond. It isn't, mm -hmm. it isn't about, you know, the circumstance that we have zero control over, the only thing we can create is, is our response, which then changes, it completely changes the outcome for us. And, and just the magic of that, I, you know, I always believed in magic as a kid. I come from this really small town in Washington state. And, you know, I believed in like, you know, I, I would go to church and I would do, I don't know if you can see, but my hands, I'd put them out like this, you know, when the, when the priest, you know, I, I thought the magic was real, you know, because I had all that. <laughs> And, and the magic that we have is our minds because they're so powerful. And if we can just master, you know, just start with like following your breath or, or something, we can really make the outcomes uh, so, so great. Well, I think, you know, what you're, what you're saying, Dr. Gordon, is I feel the way I think. And when we understand that it's our thoughts that drive our feelings and our feelings that drive our behaviors. Yeah. Right. So if it feels uncomfortable, I'm backing away. Well, we try and fix someone's feelings, but we actually have to work on our thoughts. That's yeah. how it, I, you know, it reminds me of, um, I, I was in at this, in this beautiful place in Italy with my family and my daughter, and we were so excited and we had rented this beautiful, we had rented a boat. We're going down the Amalfi coast to, and we end up in this fantastic sea cave. And it is spectacular and well-known and we're so excited and we put on our life jackets and we, you know, my daughter jumps in and everyone's jumping in and I'm on the edge of the boat and I'm really struggling to jump in because I have this fear of drowning and I have an imprint about drowning from previous story that is in my head, living in the disconnected side. And there it was a beautiful sunny day everything to be grateful for. And I cannot get myself off of this boat. And finally I jump in, but I jump in and I'm like, and I can swim, by the way, I have mm -hmm. a life jacket on. The odds of drowning are like one, like, <laughs> like 
Yeah. I don't even think possible, but I'm throwing myself around and all my little people are screaming, you know, oh my God, you're going to drown. Oh my God, you know, did something just touch my feet? Uh, there's a shark that's going to get me. Like, you know, nah, nah, nah. Like, I can hear the, yeah. I can hear the soundtrack of Jaws. And I can remember the people that I was with literally helping me get back on the boat. And I looked over at them and they were so disappointed, including my daughter. And I, they they kind of they were so sad that I just couldn't you know handle it and I remember that even though they were acting from compassion of course I felt like a total loser sure and I got back on the boat and I calmed myself down but I had made my my heart was racing I you know I I'm like acting like I can't swim and I'm ruining everyone's time <laughs> and it really made me reflect like oh my gosh who do I want to be right now and that is a great question that shifts you. Who yeah. do I want to be right now? And I remember thinking like, well, what kind of mother am I if I can't have fun? Like uh -huh. if, if, I, if I'm going to sit on the boat and watch, like that's not who I am. And I ended up, I ended up jumping in. I write about this in, in the book and I don't share this part because it's, you know, I could have jumped in. I could have not jumped in, but I did jump in. I never went into the sea cave all the way because that was kind of freaking me out. So I still honored what I could do, but that shift allowed me to decrease that emotional stress. And then I could get some clarity around who do I want to be and what is realistically happening right here? Like it, it, not why am I so afraid I'm being ridiculous. That would keep me stuck. Yep. But when I could really shift myself, and I had built enough muscle. And I think these are the things that, you know, when you talk about mindfulness and this book that, you know, Peak Mind that you mentioned, like the morning habit, like I get up, I do, I, I meditate, I journal, I do my yoga. I then, uh, for me, like this morning, I went for a nice long walk before I met with you. I, my head is clear. I'm in a great, I, I put myself in the connected side of my emotional brain. So it doesn't matter what comes at me because I'm there. But if I had started my morning with, you know, this issue and that issue, and I watch what I listen to, I watch what I put on, on TV, I had to change some of those habits because when I was listening to, and now we're at, you know, 800,000 people with, you know, with that have passed it. Uh, like, oh, it yeah. starts getting where I'm going the world is the world is going to end like i can't control it but what i can control is how i think and that's the power of understanding that mindset always comes first yeah it, we I, can I, be I mean, better at anything with mindset i think i think it's so important and and you know it it's really funny because mindset is the key to just about everything and yet nobody wants to hear about mindset you know, it's really hard to, and, and maybe for you, since you do corporate training, it might be easier, but it's really hard to, uh, to get, to get people to really look at mindset as the key, you know, because yeah. they don't want to think that they're thinking wrong. And, and so it's, it, it's really important to be able to convey that message in a way that doesn't make them feel wrong. Right. The other thing I wanted to say is that this great question to ask yourself in the middle of, of a crisis is who am I being right now? And I think that's, I think that's really important for us 
you know, especially if you're a high achiever and you want to achieve more, right? The next, the next step is like, if, if I'm going to get to my goal, who am I when I'm there? And how can I start to be that now? And that's the trick. That's the actual secret that, you know, big, big names like IBM started with. They were small and they said, we're going to be this big world leader and we're going to start acting like that now. And so one of that's one of the ways that you can reverse engineer a success is to start acting as if you're that now. So I love that. Yeah. I, and the question is, who do I want to be right now? Because it makes, you know, when something upsetting happens, it, it makes me responsible for who I'm being in that moment. So do I want to be this crazy wife who's not listening, who's a you-know-what at the moment, and, like, I got my B-I-T-C-H going on, and it is not, a, it's not helpful? And it, when, I, when I see that in myself, it, it makes me go, no, that's not who I want to be. Okay. So I can walk away. I can just regroup for a moment, or I can zip my mouth so that it, I have a little time. And that's the other thing is that I think what you're speaking about is, you know, we worry, we, we think about compassion for others. We also need to think about compassion for ourselves because we all make mistakes. We all have moments where we're not our best selves. We all have times where we cannot jump off the darn boat. You know, you've come all this way. You're in this beautiful place. Jump off the boat, Rini. And if you can't, if you can't find, you know, then you can just say, well, I got to come all this way. Like we, we're so um, judgmental of ourselves, And that's how the definition that we use at Aspire is, uh, for compassion is not being in judgment of another person or yourself. That when we're in judgment, we're not in compassion. Absolutely. That's it's true. It's like a real, it's a, it's a defined line there. It's really hard to not judge though. And, and so oh. we have to just like recognize it just like, just like when you're meditating, the thoughts come, you know, you just got to recognize the judgment and then kind of let it pass by. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. So I meditate. I have to have, you know, I have to have a guided meditation because my mind will just, you know, just, I think that's it. It's like, you know, understand and, and, and be okay. And I know that's woo woo and fluffy, but be okay that you make mistakes. Be okay. It's in that humility that you have power. Yeah. Self-compassion is so important. And, and, you know, you think about, I actually, this was my, my post. I posted on this on LinkedIn today about self-compassion and how, how to get going on it. And you think about golf, right? You think about the golfers, they make a mistake and, and even just about any sport, the best golfers are the ones who can slice on the first hole and then still win the tournament. Or win, right. or win the round, right? Because they're That's able to just head. put it put it away in 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 the past. Now you talk about your your seven year study of over a thousand leaders, right? Mm -hmm. And your biggest finding was that a healthy mindset was the differentiator between good performance and great performance, right? Mm -hmm. So you say that the people who had head trash had a harder time sustaining high performance as compared to those who knew how to manage and dump their head trash. Mm -hmm. So can you just, how do you, how do you in the moment, other than asking yourself who you're being, how do you manage and dump your head trash in the moment? I mean, this is, well, this is truly a high performance, you know, hack. So as I've shared, there isn't just one thing. 
part of it is proactive. And you mentioned this earlier, Dr. Gordon, where it's, we have to build muscle on being in the connected side of our emotional brain. So during um, 2020, we had many clients in hospitality and senior living. We have a lot of clients in service-oriented industries that were so severely hit. And there were a hundred leaders that we worked with throughout that year that we studied, that we've been working with. So we knew their performance and some were able to really achieve extraordinary results through and, and, and help people feel safe while others did not. Now, those that did had already built muscle around the habits that worked for them. They watched the habits that did not. They eliminated habits that did not. They looked at their time more effectively so that they weren't living in the endless rush of what COVID created, which was like this, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what else will go wrong? What else? Oh, you know, and like it's COVID part two is supply chain, no truckers. Like everything is throws us into that disconnected side. So they did proactive things. And then they literally were having coaches that helped them clear their minds so they could shift. So, okay, so thank you. You know, they go into their problem. It wasn't that they were in denial. Actually, they were in the problem and then they would be able to start to say, okay, well, what's the first thing we need to do to help our people feel safe when we're gonna furlough them? Like, yeah. okay, so the first thing is clean communication and staying in connection with people. So they went back to those leadership intentional leadership skills, those six pillars that I mentioned. Um, but they also did things for themselves. So they did things to make sure that they were taking care of self as well. And then, we, you know, when you feel that things are out of control, right, and it, it's creating anxiety, which happens to us all every day. So, you know, and it can be as simple as you're, someone cuts you off on the way to the office and you're driving. You can choose to get into the disconnected side where you speed up and you cut the person off and you give them the bird and you do the whole thing. Yeah. And then there's the other side of it, which is that you could just say to yourself, wow, that person must really be um, busy. I hope, I hope they get to where they're going safely. And that's a muscle. It's just yeah. like, okay. And so, but it's what happens to us is that we, our anxiety starts to you know, get into that disconnected side and then everything starts to build and now we have a whole case of crap and so then somebody says you know hey you took my parking spot and we go to the moon and so we have to what we found in this study was what were the habits that really allowed people to stay in that connected side of their emotional brain and you know i hate to say like we that's why we did the study of what are the things that decrease your emotional stress I also like if your if your listeners can imagine that if the whole goal because I you know people ask me all the time so what how do you define success and I define success as joy how much joy is in my life um, you know I I let go of this idea of work life balance and all this stuff because all I ever felt was guilty about it you know sure. I work too much because I happen to love my work and um, but I have lots of boundaries around my work etc so. My life, my, I had lots of, of joy. That to me is the ultimate of success. And how do you get there? You decrease your emotional stress. So imagine an arrow going down. And for those who have the book, it's in there. You, there's an arrow going down and, a, and that's emotional stress. There's an arrow going across and that's clarity. 
And then there's an arrow going up that's productive action. And when we understand that this is just how we get, we get the shift done, then we take back control. You know, I always laugh because people will say, oh my God, I work for such and such and they're such a control freak. And I say, everyone is a control freak. Yeah, for it's just sure. That we want to just control, like what you might want to control, Dr. Gordon, is different than what I might be hooked on controlling. And so it, we're all, we all have this tendency. And so we have more control. You know, the, the great irony is we want to control things we can't control, but one thing we can control are our thoughts. So control them. So get, yeah. put your mind and again, your environment, the people you hang with, what you're watching, the influences of your life. You know, social media, I watch it with so many young people that their validation is through complete strangers, right? Because someone liked a photo or someone didn't like a photo. And their question is, why didn't this person like the photo? And my question is, why, like, let's, why does it why matter? Why do you care? You know, yeah. you don't even know this person. Like if my mother didn't like my photo, then I'd be like, mama, that hurt my feelings. But like, so all of a sudden, but what's happened is we have these influences and we have to really be very conscientious about, are they helping us find joy or are they putting ourselves on the line? And social mm -hmm. media frequently can put ourselves on. But, you know, because I put things out on social media and some people come back and say, you know, well, I didn't particularly like that article. Okay. I mean, listen, you're not, you're not really doing well on social unless you have some haters. That's just yeah. how it is. I mean, and, and right. the thing about differentiation too, is that, you know, if, if you don't stand out a little bit, if you don't, if you don't say something's controversial, then, you know, you're, you're going to be so bland that nobody's going to really give a crap anyway. And so it's just, it's just really important. So as a kind of a parting thought, I, I want to ask you about congruence. You know, people, people tend to stay consistent with who they think they are, right? They act and they stay consistent with who they think they are. And so in your research with, with the high performers, have you seen a shift in identity that required them to, you know, that they had to go through? Was there some sort of required shift in identity to increase their performance and help them, like, get rid of these negative thoughts? Um, I don't know that I'd call it identity, Dr. Gordon. I think I'd call it um, uh, an understanding. So uh, one of the um, pieces of IP that we created years ago, we studied high-performing teams. And then we studied, okay, well, if this is how a high-performing team operates, then how does a high-performing person operate? And there were four levels of performance. The highest level of performance is what we call the outstanding performer. There's only 4% on average. And we've had you know, well over 10,000. We've worked with hundreds of thousands of people. So we've modeled people. We also modeled outside of people that we didn't um, work with that we could see like uh, someone who played a, an instrument professionally, you know, or or a high performing athlete and so forth. But we the majority was um, we started with salespeople uh, because we did a lot of sales training at the time. Then we started looking at high performing leaders and high performing organizations. So you have your high performers, which are your outstanding what we call the outstanding performer, four percent in general. The thing about the outstanding performers is that they have connected their passion to whatever they're doing. And by the way, this is a performance model. It's not um, you're an A type. It's about the performance. 
That's the thing to remember. Because you can be a high performer as a leader and a low performer like myself. I'm a low performer golfer. And that's called <laughs> what I call the pukers. That's the bottom. The bottom 7% is, our, is what we found. Um, they're also the naysayers. You take me out golfing and the whole time I'm like, you know, who would create a, a sport that you got to do for four hours? Who has four hours? Why are there so many clubs? Where's the, you know, where's the guy, you know, with wine? Why is it that they can't serve good wine on the golf course? You can serve <laughs> bad wine on the golf course. Why not good wine? Like the whole time, no one asked me to golf twice ever because I have in my performance, I have this naysayer, puker, blah, blah, all over the place. And then in the middle is where you have, you know, you have what we call the top notch. So top notch performers are still, they, they deliver, they have a great mindset. Um, they're a big learners, similar to your outstanding performance. They just haven't tied their why, what they, what turns them on all the way up into, to get to the, to that next level. And that's where, you know, when you say you coach high performers, those high performers are your top notch, right? Yeah. And then there's this group uh, for all the math listeners out there, it's 72%. So your, your, your uh, top notch is 17% and your what we call the mediocre crowd, which is the big group there after your top notch, 72%. Well, this is where coaching is even more valuable and learning is so incredibly important because we all can be mediocre. Let's say we get a new job. Well, you're mediocre. You might have been a hot, you might have been outstanding at your last job, but now you have a new job or you have a new environment. Or, you know, this was the issue with remote. You had outstanding performers who were terrible at working remotely. They needed all kinds of new habits and no one was teaching them the habits and disciplines of being remote. So yeah. their performance slid. So all of a sudden you have a high performer and then what do they do? They feel blame, they feel shame. So and when you have that negativity that happens in that mediocre crowd, it starts to bring your organization down. And so, but there's lots of reasons, you know, I might be mediocre because I'm learning something new. I might be mediocre because I've been doing it too long and I'm sick of it. Mm. I might be a mediocre. And this is what happened with a lot of burnout is that people got burned out and they became mediocre. And when you're mediocre and you used to be good, you blame and shame someone else. Because I used to be able to do this, but these people don't, they have too many expectations. This yeah. isn't right. I don't have that. So when we really studied these people, we could see that if they had surroundings that allowed them to stay at that top notch and work on, and we have very specific um, definitions of what are the skills, behaviors, and most importantly, the mindset of these, this top, uh, you know, uh, 21%, which is the outstanding, the top notch then you could build that as a coach and keep pushing that. And that's how people rose from the mediocre crowd. That's great. So the thing is, is that, you know, we have to realize that, you know, nobody wants to be mediocre. Nobody wants to admit that they're mediocre at something. You know, I Absolutely. can tell you right now that, that I'm super mediocre at golf, right? But I'm a pretty outstanding writer <laughs> and I feel good about that. I was an excellent surgeon. Um, you know, but there, there are just things that, that I'm not good at yet. And I like to tell people that anything worth doing is worth sucking at it first. I'm a very bad French speaker, but you know, I haven't had a lot of opportunity to speak French. So what, you know, what, 
what we have to do is we have to practice self-compassion, allow ourselves to make the mistakes, just like a baby who's learning how to walk. And then, and then we can maybe move out of that 72 or 81 or 79, I mean, and up into the, the 21. And, and, you know, it goes with it that you're only going to be really good at 20% of the things you do. It just makes sense. You know, you just don't right. have that much bandwidth. Well, and like, and it goes back to, you know, like personally, I don't, golf hurts my back. Um, it, I have scoliosis. It hurts my back. It's not enjoyable for me. So I don't play. And when people invite me to golf, I say, you know, I, it's just, it's a game that I can ruin for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and they graciously say, thank you for sharing that. We'll see you for cocktails. I or, you know, like we don't have to be. You know, I, I played the flute since I was in the third grade. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm pretty mediocre at it, but boy, it does bring me joy. I don't have enough time. Now I'm like getting excited about maybe I'll join a band again and play a little jazz flute with them. And so all of a sudden, you know, it's okay. We don't have to be outstanding at everything, but what we want is joy. If flute brings me joy, then I should do it. If it, if I, if it all it does is make me feel bad because I'm not good at it. I'm not good enough. I'm not the best. You know, we have this tape of like, I have to be good at everything. No, I have to be good at what it is that I want in my life. I want, then I put the effort. I don't know who said it, but you know, the first thing is, is, you know, if you don't have effort against what you want, well, then, you know, these things don't happen. It, It isn't, Yes, can we manifest things? Of course, but you know, you manifest a lot better when you put some effort against it. You know, when Absolutely. you uh, when yeah. you have clarity of what you want to do, when you practice. You know, was I? I used to be a much better flute player. Well, yeah. you know, when you practice three times a year, you're not as good. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So, uh, any other parting thoughts? That uh, anything you wanted to get to that we didn't get to today? Well, no. I just uh, I hope that I was helpful to your listeners. And um, if there's, you know, please, you know, if you're interested in my book, Amazon has it, Head Trash, The Leading Killer of Human Potential. And we'll definitely look, we'll definitely look, link that up in the show notes. And uh, thank uh, you. where can people find you? Um, so, well, actually you can go to Rini at dumpheadtrash.com and uh, you can find me there. Um, okay. For, uh, Rini That's your at- email address? That's my email address okay. or Rini at poweredbyaspire.com. And awesome. um, so, you know, whatever, R-E-N-I-E. And then, you know, that, like I said, there's a lot of resources that are for free to help people, whether it's getting a daily aspiration or shift questions. Actually, I did, we did a white paper on burnout that lives there. So there's lots of um, resources at dumpheadtrash.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being a part of the podcast today. Certainly appreciate cool. you. Oh, thank you. Likewise, it was very fun.